So uh, we're, we're starting to wrap up this series where we're looking at the nativity scene and starting to look more of what was behind the scenes of the nativity. And I want to pose a question that I'm sure all of us have, have asked at some point. It's probably a pretty familiar question to you. Have you ever said something along the lines of, well, it seemed like a good idea at the time? Did you ever say that? Or it seemed right at the time, something along those lines? Yeah, that, that happens pretty often in our lives where... It seemed like the right idea. It seemed like the best choice at the time, right? But what happens? We make a choice. We we make a decision. And over time, well, maybe that wasn't the best choice after all. Maybe that wasn't the right choice after all, right? And and you think of your career. Well, which career path am I going to take? And you don't want to mess something like that up, right? Because if over time it's not the right thing, well, man, it feels like my life's over. You start to think through Where are we going to live? How are we going to manage our finances? Who am I going to marry? How are we going to raise our kids? I mean, you've got a lot of big decisions throughout your life, and we don't want to mess those up. We want to make the right decisions. We want to make the faithful decision, but we find ourselves in this really tense place of how do we know it's the right decision? Because I'm not talking about right and wrong. I feel like most of us, most of even our culture, we've got a decent grasp on truly right and wrong. We've got a decent compass there, but I'm talking more of like that big gray area of what's the best decision? What's the most faithful decision? We're coming up on Christmas. And and I would say there's not a right or wrong, but for husbands there is most certainly a right or wrong as far as what you get your wife. So don't apply this message to what you get your wife. But generally speaking, it's like, okay, there's a big gray area. How do we make the best choice? How do we know what to get them? How do we choose faithfulness instead of foolishness? And that's what we're gonna say is finding this line, because it's a very thin line at times of that line between faithful and foolish. And I say that you have to find it because you really do. It's not a clear-cut, dry line of, well, that's exactly where it is. There's the line of faithful and foolish. There is a line, but it's very difficult to find it. You have to dig in. You have to ask some different questions. And that's what I want us to do this morning. Not just for this season of Christmas where we are faced with a lot of different decisions. A lot of, well, what am I supposed to do? And a lot of those decisions have some pretty good impact, especially as we're moving into 2019. What are we going to do? We want to make faithful decisions. We don't want to end up being on the side of foolish. So how do we know what to do? How do we find the line that separates faithfulness from foolishness? And even though we don't see that in the nativity, I promise that's what's going on in the minds of Joseph. Just to catch you up a little bit, if you haven't been with us, we've been walking through the nativity scene. This is the nativity scene I have at my house, and you probably have one at your house or in the yard, or you've seen them before. You got baby Jesus, you got Mary and Joseph. We talked about them last week, the wise men. Yeah, um, we do all of our sermons online, so those of you, you can apparently go back and revisit. Yes, we talked about the wise men last week. So then we talked about the shepherds the week before, and this is a great scene. It's this picture perfect scene, but what we're discovering is it wasn't so picture perfect, was it? You have this great scene of everybody all together worshiping Jesus. It was perfect. It was peaceful. It was a picture-perfect snapshot of the nativity scene. But really, what was going on behind the scenes? What was happening before this snapshot? What was happening even after this snapshot? That's what we've been really looking into. So as we talk about Joseph this morning, that's the line that he was walking. He was trying to find this, this in this middle of this tension, managing this tension of What am I supposed to do? What's the faithful thing? What's the foolish thing to do? What am I supposed to do? 
And I have no doubt there's a question like that in your mind right now. Just as we're talking through this, there's some kind of a decision that is coming up. What am I supposed to do? I want to make the right decision. I don't want to make the wrong decision. I want to make sure I'm choosing faithfulness, and I don't want to be found out to be foolish. How do we find that line that separates faithfulness from foolishness? If you have your Bibles, we're going to look through the story of Joseph. Like I said, it's not just going to be here at the scene of Jesus being born. We'll get to that. But most of what we're going to see is behind the scenes, before this for Joseph, and most certainly as well as afterwards. So if you have a Bible, Matthew chapter 1, we will start in verse 18. And here's what's happening leading up to that picture-perfect scene that we call the nativity scene. Matthew 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, or a man that was faithful to the law. Because he was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So look at this. He had in mind to divorce her, to divorce her quietly. So there's, the, there's that line, right? You talk about unexpected. Joseph's getting ready to marry the love of his life, Mary, and he finds out she's pregnant, and it's not by me. That was unexpected. I didn't see that one coming. And so he's now walking this line, trying to find this line of what am I supposed to do now? Isn't that where that question usually comes from? Anytime we ask, what am I supposed to do now? That usually came from something that was unexpected. Good or bad, indifferent, it usually came from a place of uncertainty or something of unknown. We ask that question to ourselves, what am I supposed to do now? Now here's Joseph, and scripture tells us he's a good man. He's a faithful man. He loves Mary. He loves God. He's devoted himself to his family and also to following God. So he's trying to find what we try to find. This line that separates the faithful from the foolish. And he doesn't want to mess this one up. And in fact, that phrase there, he had in his mind. In other words, he spent a lot of time thinking through this. This wasn't a rash decision. This wasn't just an off-the-cuff decision. This wasn't a decision that he just came up with one minute after he found out the news about Mary being pregnant. No, he processed it. He thought through it. And he's like, I need to make the right decision. Now, I don't want to mess this one up. How do I make the faithful decision here? And he's like... Well, I don't want to, I don't want to make things worse for Mary. So he's like, I don't, want to, I don't want to thrust her into the public eye, the public spotlight where she'll be disgraced for the rest of her life. But I don't know if I can continue down this road and, and take her as my wife and, and have a family with her. He, he's struggling to know what to do. Been there? So over a lot of time, I'm sure, of, of thinking and processing and lists of pros and cons, he comes up with a decision that he thinks is best. He says, this is what I'm going to do. He had in his mind, this is the right decision. This is the best decision. Here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to divorce her, but I'm going to do it quietly. Because I love Mary. I love her with all my heart, but I love God. So I want to make sure I make the right decision and do it in the right way. So for him, he makes this decision. Divorce her quietly so she won't be disgraced in public. That's his idea. That's his decision. He got off the line and he said, that's the right thing to do. Now, if you know the story, you know that he ends up doing something completely opposite of that. Thus the question, have we ever said, hmm, it seemed right at the time, right? So what caused him to change his mind? Because we were just told he had in his mind that here's what he was going to do. But then we know the story. We know he does something completely opposite of that. What changed his mind? What he once thought was faithful, he's now starting to see maybe that was actually foolish. What changed his mind? 
Let's see. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, after he came to the decision to divorce her quietly, after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be, what's it say there? What's that word? Do not be afraid. You're going to see that again. Do not be afraid for what? Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So he finds out some unexpected news. Plans have changed. His life will never be the same. Mary's pregnant. It's not his what am I going to do? That's the big question. The unexpected news, the change of plans, then the question, what do we do with that? How do we, how do we change with the change of plans? And so that's what he is. He's stuck in the middle of what's the right decision, the wrong decision, what's the faithful decision versus the foolish decision. And he decides over, over some time of processing, I'm going to divorce her quietly. That's the best decision. That's the faithful decision. Again, Joseph is a good man with a good heart, loves God, loves Mary. That's the best decision. Something changed all of that. He has this dream. He goes to bed. An angel speaks to him. God speaks to him through this angel. And he wakes up thinking, what I thought was faithful, I'm now questioning maybe is foolish. One night changed it all. Right? And, and in that moment, God spoke to him and says, no, 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 no. I know what's in your mind, Joseph. I know what you're planning to do, but that's not the faithful decision. That's not the right thing to do. In fact, I want you to do the opposite of that. I want you to not be, what was the word again? Afraid. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. In fact, give him this specific name. Gives him even some further instructions along with it. So now Joseph is back to where he started. Now what do I do? I thought that was the right decision, but now God's telling me this is the, the right decision. In fact, was that really God? Right? So many times we use that as, as an excuse. Well, this is easy for Joseph. He had an angel of the Lord speak to him. Let's think about that for a second. If you went to bed tonight, and had an angel speak to you and tell you to do something, you would wake up tomorrow thinking, yeah, that's not right. That didn't actually happen. There's no way. Right? We use that as an excuse, but it would have been the same tension for Joseph still of, was that really God? Was that not really God? So he's back to square one. What do I do? What I thought was right, I'm now thinking might be wrong. So what is the faithful decision? Look what Joseph does. When Joseph woke up, verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So as he goes back to square one, what am I supposed to do? I thought that was right. It ended up God told me that was wrong. That was not faithful. That was, in fact, foolish. Now what do I do? And I have to imagine that Joseph is just running through. Again, he was faithful to the law, Scripture says. He was a righteous man, which means he knew the Old Testament stories. And so many of those Old Testament stories are individuals that are wrestling with that same tension. Faithful versus foolish. Because what we sometimes think is faithful in reality is foolish. And sometimes what seems foolish in reality is faithful. Think of the story of Abraham where God said, Abraham, drop everything, leave, and go to a place that I'll tell you. Abraham's like, well, where is exactly that? I don't know. I'll tell you when I get there. When you get there, God says. It seems foolish to anybody else, but in reality it was very faithful. Noah, who built a boat, went out without rain in sight. It seemed foolish, but in fact was very faithful. Think of Daniel, who committed and dedicated himself to praying, even though the law of the land was anybody that prays to anybody other than King Nebuchadnezzar will be thrown to the lion's den. It seemed foolish, yet it was very faithful. Think of Moses, 
who was an outcast who was on the run for murder and he goes back to the country he was kicked out of, who was a wanted man. And he goes not just to anybody, but he goes to the king of that empire, goes to Pharaoh and says, let God's people go. It seemed foolish, but in reality was very faithful. Go to the New Testament. We see people like Peter who stepped out of a boat thinking he could walk on water. We see Matthew who truly left everything, his job and everything, and in a split moment followed this new radical rabbi. You think of Paul who spent his days persecuting the church and in an instant turned it around and instead of persecuting the church he actually helped launch churches and plant churches and helped lead the church what seems foolish in reality can oftentimes be faithful and what we deem as faithful ends up sometimes being foolish and here we are back where we started what am i supposed to do now spoiler alert i don't have an answer for that question for you <laughs> there's not a good answer there's not a good answer of knowing and being able to discern faithful versus foolish. But what we see Joseph do, the tension that we don't see in the nativity scene, but the tension that had to have been in his mind, I think we can actually start to see what we can do. What did Joseph do? What did he not do that can help us make the same decisions, the faithful decisions, the right choices, the right decisions, when we don't know what to do? So, Let's see what he actually did. Now, keep in mind, this is going to cause us to have to change how we're thinking. This would require Joseph to change how he was thinking. In fact, Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 12. He says, don't be conformed. Don't follow the patterns of this world, but you're going to be different. He says, be transformed by renewing the renewing of your mind. In other words, you're going to have to think differently about this world. Think differently about your role in this world. And then Paul goes on to say, then you will be able to test what God's will is. So oftentimes, if we want to know what God's will is, what's faithful versus what's foolish, we have to think very, very differently. Different than maybe the way that we were raised. Different than the way that maybe we were taught. Different than the way that we would maybe want. We have to think a little bit differently so we can discern to the best that we can, now it won't be perfect, what's faithful versus what's foolish. First thing that he does, and he has this reckoning moment, this moment of, I recognize something is different. When he wakes up after the angel spoke, Joseph recognizes, I'm not in charge anymore. <laughs> My wife is pregnant, not by me, but by God. Okay, didn't see that coming. And now I'm supposed to, like, raise him? Like, God's son, I raise him and I give him a name? I didn't, definitely didn't see that coming. He came to a realization pretty quick that he was not in control. He was not in charge. Now, somebody is. Somebody is in charge. Somebody is control. In fact, yes, someone is in control of this whole world, of this entire universe. And here we go. It's not you. And it's most certainly not me. You know that song? He's got the whole world. What is it? In his, yep. Oh, you guys sound great. Sounds so good. Terrible, actually. But, right? And that's true. There's a lot of truth to that. He does hold the whole world. God is in control, not you, not me. He is ultimately supreme and in charge, not me. And Joseph had to get in that place of what I think is always right might not be right. Why? Because I'm not in charge. I am not in control. Can you allow that to actually sink in? You are not ultimately in control. Now, yes, there's a lot of things in your control. There's a lot of things that we should have control over, no doubt. But there's also a lot more that we have no business even trying to take control of, that we need to stay hands off, that it truly is God leading the way and God designing what's next and orchestrating his plan instead of us trying to come in and take all things under control. I have a friend that works with FedEx. He's one of the managers for some local FedEx areas. And I asked him, we were hanging out this last week, and I said, 
I just got to know, how does it happen? Because, and I'm, a, I, I'm willing to admit, my wife and I, we are Amazon Prime addicts. Like, I don't think we've been to a store in years. If it's on Amazon Prime, we do it. It's so much easier. We've been Amazon Prime members for years and years and years. We started out thinking, is this really a thing? Like, is this witchcraft? Could it be true? How does this work? I don't care, but it just works because all I do is I hit this buy now button, and two days later, it shows up on my door. I remember I tried it for the first time. We hit, well, let's see if this actually works. Toilet paper. Let's see what happens. Buy now. Two days later, poof, toilet paper on my front door. I'm like, that was cool. Let's see. Maybe that was a fluke. Let's try it with something else. We buy something else. Two days later, poof, right there on my front door. I said, this is incredible. This is going to change our lives forever. It's going to change me personally. But maybe it has limitations. Bye, 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 bye. Let's see how they do now. It all shows up on my front door. I'm like, how is that even possible? It's incredible. doesn't matter where it is, what it is, whatever you get. If it's on Prime, you get it two days later. So I asked my friend with FedEx. I'm like, how is that possible? What does it take? Because I have no clue how it actually works. All I'm doing is sitting on my computer screen. I'm just on my phone, man. And I'm just like, bye now, bye now. And it shows up two days later. I was like, what happens in between? He laughed at me. He said, Brian, you don't have a clue. He said, it takes over 450,000 employees coast to coast. And the moment you hit buy now, you have some robot in some warehouse that pulls it out. And then you have this guy that puts it on this truck. And this truck takes it to that airfield. And this airplane flies it over here, drops it off at the base of this mountain. Then a hiker takes that package, takes it over the mountain, hands it off to a helicopter. The helicopter comes up, drops over, drops it down for a guy in a snow sled to take it across the rest of the way. Finally to a FedEx driver that then runs chases you down and drops it on your front door I was like wow I had no clue don't care what else can I get <laughs> it's incredible the behind the scenes what we would call logistics to get something from point a to point b we have no clue what it takes to make that actually happen are we okay saying that about God I don't have a clue God how you do what you do I don't know how you orchestrate all these different people in my life. I don't have a clue of how you work things out for good like you promised from Paul in Romans. I don't get it, God. But I trust that you're in charge and I'm not, that you are in control. Even when I don't see the behind the scenes, when I can't see behind the scenes, when I don't have a clue on how it works, God, I trust that you are in control and that you are in charge. That's what Joseph had to get in his mind first because what I thought was right actually wasn't right. What I thought was going to be faithful is after waking up from a dream from an angel speaking to me, I recognize it's actually kind of foolish. So back to the question, what do I do? How do I choose faithful over foolish? Now, I said there's a lot of things that are out of our control. That doesn't really help us, does it? <laughs> so what's in our control? What do we do? What are we supposed to do with the few things that are left in our control? What is Joseph supposed to do? He got to this point. He, he made the right call. He switched. Okay, I'll take Mary as my wife. We'll name him Jesus. We have the great nativity scene snapshot. But he's going to be faced with quite a few other decisions where he finds himself searching for that line that separates faithful and foolish again. And because of his transformation and how he thinks, he begins to act a little bit differently. So here's what we can do. Here's what keeps us in our lane. Two things. You ready? Implicit trust. Implicit trust. In other words, immediate trust. It's, it's without question. Doesn't mean you understand it. Understand that. We can still have some doubts. Doesn't mean you don't have any doubts, but it means I'm implicitly trusting you. Fully trust. Absolute trust. 
but also immediate obedience. Implicit trust and immediate obedience. That keeps us in our lane of what we are actually in control over. And look at how Joseph had to, how to, he had to actually apply that. Again, this is after, what we're gonna read next is after this actually happened. The first one we already talked about, right? He was gonna do this, he was gonna divorce his wife quietly, but then God said, no, in reality, I want you to do this. So he had to trust God and he had to obey, which he did. The next line that we read, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He trusted implicitly and he immediately obeyed. But then if you keep reading in chapter two, after this scene, we see some other decisions. We see this one in, ch in chapter two, verse 13. And this is after the wise men showed up, the wise men came, then they left. It says, when they had gone, talking about the wise men, once the wise men had left, look at this, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. You gotta be kidding me, another angel in another dream. <laughs> He's gonna be very sick of dreams with angels by the end of this story. The angel said, get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is gonna search for the child to kill him. So an angel says, get up, go to Egypt. Well, how long are we gonna be there, God? You're all knowing and all in control. How long are we gonna be in Egypt? God says, until I tell you to. In other words, don't worry about it. I'll tell you when you need to know. Right now, you don't need to know. Well, what are we gonna pack? How long do we need to pack for? What? God, you gotta give me a little bit more. He says, I'll tell you. So what does he do? Next verse, verse 14. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, immediate during the night, and left for Egypt. You talk about implicit trust and immediate obedience. The angel says to Joseph, you think you're staying put? Nope, get up, pack your bags, leave right now. So he wakes up and took the child and his mother and left during the night. We see this again. So finally that, that ended, verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. He says, oh no, not again, now what? In Egypt, and he said, Here's what the angel said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. He's like, great, we finally get to go back home. So he packs up, starts heading home. Look at this, verse 21. Here's how he responded to the dream. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Are you seeing a theme here? God says something to Joseph. Joseph gets up and does what he's told. Implicit trust in the one talking to him and immediate obedience in his response. Last one, verse 22. So he thinks he's finally gonna be able to go home. Yay, we get to go back to where we started. Verse 22 says differently. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was, and here's that word again, afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, go figure, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and went and lived in a town called Nazareth. Once again, hey, we're gonna head home. We're going to Israel. Oh, wait, had another dream. Or in fact, we're gonna go to this little no-name town called Nazareth. Implicit trust, immediate obedience. That's our lane. That's what we control. We control our trust and our obedience. But again, it's implicit trust, immediate obedience. If I'm in Joseph's shoes, the immediate would be hard for me. Because I'm thinking you wake up from one of these four dreams where an angel speaks to you and you're thinking, did that really happen? I'm not 100% sure I, I was clear on that, God. Give me another sign. If that's really you, let me know. Show me something else, right? I don't know if I can trust that right now because what I think would be faithful is this, God. This makes sense to me, and what I'm hearing you is very, very different. So once again, there's the tension. What do I do? Implicit trust, immediate obedience, Again, it's easy for us to look at Joseph and, and again, use that excuse of, well, he had an angel speak to him. Of course, if I had an angel speak to me, I would for sure always know what God wanted me to do. That whole thing Paul talked about to the early church of Rome of, 
well, then I'll be able to test God's will. Yeah, that'd be a whole lot easier if God actually came to me in a dream like Joseph. I've never, I've never had personally an angel speak to me in a dream, so how do I know what I'm supposed to do? Wouldn't it be great? This is just hypothetical. I'm just you know, shooting from the hip here. Wouldn't it be awesome, hypothetically, if there was something like that? Like for us today, and, and I'm not hearing angels speak to me, so man, hypothetically, wouldn't it be great if there was like this compilation of like letters and writings that, that would actually be like God's word, that if you put them together, it would actually say what, what God was like and who he is. And, and man, and then there would be other people that would kind of write things to other Christians and other churches, just giving them suggestions on what it would look like to follow Jesus. Wouldn't it be great if there was some kind of compilation of writings that would tell us what to do and what God is like? Wouldn't that be awesome? If we could actually have access to that and read it whenever we wanted and we could hear how people follow Jesus and even hear the words of Jesus and those that were closest to him, that'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Yeah. We have that, <laughs> don't we? We have God's word. The New Testament is Jesus' life and his loving others, the command that we're given. We've talked about that before. It says, a new command I give you. New Testament says, a new command I give you. Love others, but not just love others. Love others as I have loved you. In other words, the way that I've loved you, sacrificially loved you. The rest of the New Testament is people showing us what that looks like. It's people like Paul and Peter, James, the brother of Jesus, helping us understand how to do that and what that looks like. So when we ask the question, what do I do? Sure, there's not necessarily going to be a verse that says, do this, don't do that. <laughs> Old Testament has a lot of that, and it doesn't all apply to us anymore. But how do we love others? How do I choose faithful over foolish? Well, I trust implicitly, and I obey immediately, and I allow God to be who he is. Remember, he's in charge. He's in control. So take the burden off right now that you're in charge of all the results. Let that go. You are not in control of all of the results, right? It's FedEx's job to deliver. <laughs> God's job to deliver. My job, implicit trust, immediate obedience, and I let him do exactly what he's going to do. And no, I don't always understand it. No, it doesn't always make sense to me. A lot of times it even looks and feels and seems foolish, but God tells me differently. Implicit trust immediate obedience. And you know what that does? Catch this. Don't miss this part. Here's what that does to you and here's what it does to me. It grows our confidence. Your trust in God and your obedience to him, it builds confidence. So when you are looking for this line, I'm not saying you're going to do this perfectly. We're all going to mess this up, but you have more confidence in following the faithful decisions. When I first was married to Becky, we've been married uh, 10 years, a little over 10 years. Our first Christmas, I had no clue what to get her. I'm like, she's a girl, she likes clothes and shoes, right? So you do that. 10 years later, I hope I'm learning what to actually get her. <laughs> I think I've done better this year. We'll find out. She'll report back in a couple weeks, let you know how I did. The more you're with somebody, the more you know them. The more you're with somebody, the more you know their heart. The more you're with somebody, the more you're aligned with them. The more you're with somebody, do you see where this is going? The more you're with Jesus, the more clear this line is going to become. I'm not saying it's going to be crystal clear. I'm saying the more clear it's going to become. And what may seem faithful, sometimes foolish, what seems foolish may in fact sometimes be 
faithful. There's something I don't want us to miss, and I think it's what Joseph needed to hear more than anybody else. And it's why, throughout all the stories of the shepherds and Mary and the wise men, we only get this passage directed to Joseph. Joseph is the only one that actually hears this. And I think that's very intentional. Joseph is the only one that is told his name will be Emmanuel. A lot of other people, the shepherds, heard who this was going to be, the Messiah. The wise men knew that this was going to be the king. Mary heard this was going to be the savior of the world, God's son. But Joseph is the one that heard he will be Emmanuel. Remember what Emmanuel stands for? What it actually means, literally? God with us. Not God with them. God with us. And Joseph is the one that had to constantly find this line, what do I do? And every step of the way, every step of the way, Jesus was with him. For him, very physically, (laughs) he had baby Jesus with him. But more importantly, God was with him. Every step of the way, every decision, God was with him. And understand this, please, church. That is still true today for you. God is with you. When you're finding this line, seeking this line, what am I supposed to do? God is with you. When you think you're on the side of faithful, I'm doing the right thing, this is what makes sense to me, and all of a sudden you get thrown a curveball, God is still with you. Think through what what Joseph had to walk through, the disappointment, the embarrassment, the shame that he was expecting, the discouragement he would have felt, the uncertainty. Well, we're going to go to Egypt for how long? I don't know. The uncertainty, the anxiety. You think through, well, we're going to go back to Israel. Oh, wait, change of plans. We're, in fact, have to go to Nazareth. Why Nazareth? Why Galilee? I don't know anybody there. You talk about change. Joseph was feeling every single one of those emotions that most of you are feeling, if not now, will be very soon. Disappointment, discouragement, anxiety, stress, change, uncertainty, the unknown. And through all of that, God with us. God is with you, and he is with me, and that is where my confidence lies. And that is what gives me implicit trust, and that is what allows me to have immediate obedience. Not my confidence in me. Good grief, no. That'd be a disaster. Been there, right? (laughs) When we make decisions based on us, man, we end up fooling ourselves and a lot of other people. Allow God to be in control recognize he is stay in your lane of implicit trust and immediate obedience and that will grow your confidence in him he will deliver the results not you allow him to deliver the results that one night that we see that snapshot changed everything because in this moment in that moment that's when god truly was with us and came to be with us that's still true today My hope, my prayer for you is that you would walk through not just this Christmas season, but the rest of your lives confident, not in your abilities, not in anybody else's abilities. You write the list of the people in your life that our confidence would not lie with them, but our confidence would lie with the one who came to be with us forever, Jesus. And as we line up with his heart, we follow him. This line gets a little bit more clear. We'll never answer it perfectly. We begin to ask the question, what do I do? Oh, instead we start saying, well, what is God leading me to do? That's the question to ask. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much for for what you did over 2,000 years ago of sending your son to be with us and how it changed everything forever. 
that in that moment where you became flesh and you entered our world to just be with us, to walk with us, to teach us, to love us, to direct us, and most importantly, to save us, it changed everything. And all the emotions and all the feelings and all the stresses that we feel throughout our life of discouragement, disappointment, shame, guilt, uncertainty, anxiety, change upon change upon change, you continue to be with us every step of the way. So God, in the moments where we're asking, what are we supposed to do next? What am I supposed to do? This is what seems right, but what am I supposed to do? God, I know there's not always a clear answer. But God, you are in charge, and God, you are in control, and so we're gonna let go of all of, all of the, the control that we have no business even trying to hold on to. And we're gonna give you our implicit trust, even when we don't understand. We're gonna give you our, our, our immediate obedience, even when it seems foolish to us and to others. And God, grow the confidence in each and every one of us. Confidence not in ourselves, but confidence in you, that you continue to be with us every step of the way, every decision we make, every wrong decision we make. You never leave us. You don't walk away from us. You stay with us. God, grow our confidence this Christmas. May it be a confidence in you. May our confidence be in you because of your son's birth, but also because of the cross and what now is the empty tomb that our lives are never the same as we follow you. Help us to follow you with faith instead of on the side of foolish as our confidence grows. All because of that one night, this world and our lives will never be the same. In Jesus' name.